Well, good morning. It's good to see you all today. If you'll turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. As you turn in there, I'm going to tell you a story. One of the things that pastors used to do before COVID was go into a lot of hospitals and visit folks. And you remember visits, good or bad, but I'm particularly haunted even to this day by a visit I had at the hospital many, many years ago. I went in to visit a, a man that had had surgery. And after having had surgery, I had a conversation with him. And uh, I'll never forget his words. He wasn't a churchgoer. He just said to me, Jeff, though I'm a Christian, I've never been able to figure out God's will for my life. Never. And I thought to myself, well, that's just really sad that he's never been able to figure that out. The reason I'm haunted is because he died the next day. He passed away in the hospital the next day. And I thought to myself, man, that's just terrible. It's terrible. You know, there's an old saying among preachers, and it's this. God's word equals God's will. God's word equals God's will. If you want to know what God's will is, specifically, just do what the book says. And though there are some things in life that we have questions about, it's a guidebook for us. God's word equals God's will. Today we're going to look at just a very short section of scripture. Uh, it's 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Let's read it together. Be joyful always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Today we want to answer this question. What is God's will for the Christian's attitude? Uh, it's not specifically pertaining to attitude, but at the same time, it's instructive for us. God's saying through us, through the Apostle Paul, this is my will for you. Do this. There are three verbs here. They're all imperatives, which means it's in not just a suggestion. It's a command. If you're a Christian, you got to do this. And the reason we see it in this light is because these are people that are being persecuted. Paul is writing this instruction to people who are going through difficult times. So we can say as we read it, if you're going through a difficult time, this is what you should have as your attitude. All of us are going through circumstances that are difficult. And circumstances oftentimes determine our attitude. But this isn't predicated upon attitude. This is truth, whether it's good times or bad times. This is the way that we're supposed to live. So if you're going through a difficult time this morning, particularly in this Thanksgiving season, this is instructions for us to really, really focus on, internalize, and more importantly, practice. Now, the outline is very simple. It doesn't leave us a lot of room for negotiation here. It's the impact of the truth upon the heart that matters. More importantly, once we get this instruction, we're supposed to do this instruction. So let's look at the first part of this. Christians choose to be... Joyful. Be joyful always. That literally is translated, at all times be rejoicing, whether times are good or whether times are bad, whether you're up or down. This should be a characteristic of the Christian, rejoicing. It's the shortest verse in the New Testament. For those of you that are into trivia, this is the shortest verse in the New Testament, but at the same time can be the most powerful. In other words, the Apostle Paul is saying, yes, Thessalonians, I know you're being persecuted. I know you're going through a difficult time, but here's the challenge for you. Be joyful, always. We see this also in Philippians chapter 4, the same verse, the same concept. 
Paul's sitting in a prison cell in Philippians chapter 4, and he says, Rejoice in the Lord always, I'll say it again, rejoice. This is something that Christians should be practicing constantly, continually, rejoicing. We must rejoice always. Christians choose to be rejoicing even when times are difficult. Now, there are three words for the word joy in the New Testament. The first is, I won't try to say the Greek word, a loud public expression of joy in worship. So when we gather together at church on Sunday morning, it's a loud expression of joy. You're thankful for what the Lord has done. The second word for joy in the New Testament is community joy, like a festival. When you meet your family and friends in a Sunday school class or at church on a Sunday morning, it's good to be together. We're joyful because we get to do that. Many of us had Thanksgiving this past week with family. It was a joyful experience. But the third word, and the one we see here, is the word Cairo, and it's a response to the things that bring joy. So we rejoice that because of what Christ Jesus has done for us. It's a response, not to our circumstances. It's a response to what Jesus has done for us. Jesus went to the cross and died for our sins. We rejoice in that. We've placed our faith in Jesus Christ. He has saved us. He's taking us to heaven when we die. We rejoice in that. We've been released from the bondage of hell. We rejoice in that. It's a response to what Christ has done for us. That's why we have a joy in our hearts. We rejoice because of what Jesus has done. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. He's saying, look, I know your circumstances are difficult, but never forget, we rejoice because of what Jesus has done for us. It's not keeping our eyes on our circumstances. It's keeping our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. Christians have to learn this. It's not something that we fall into. We choose to practice joy because we remind ourselves what Christ has done in the midst of our difficult circumstances. Remember, this is a lesson that was given over 2,000 years ago. It's the same Christians that the apostle is writing to. Christians then, Christians now. Be joyful. Be joyful. Practice joy. It's the attitude that a Christian should have in the difficulties of life. Now, we can choose to have the language of complaining, or we can choose to have the language of rejoicing. That principle is found in all three of these points today. It's something we choose to practice because of what Christ Jesus has done for us. Christians are supposed to be different from non-Christians in the sense that joy should be a characteristic of our lives. Our Lord, when he walked on this earth, for the joy set before him endured the cross. We walk through this earth because we know, without a shadow of a doubt, what's before us. And it's in heaven with our Lord. And yet what happens? We all fall into this trap, don't we? We, we fall into a very difficult situation or a bad relationship. And it steals our joy. The enemy wants to steal our joy. And the Apostle Paul is saying, don't let that happen. And the way you don't let that happen is you got to choose to rejoice always. You ever driven down the road and see somebody singing in their car by themselves? And they are looking so foolish. And you're sitting there just not paying attention to anything. Look at that person over there, man. They're singing in their car. Do they know how silly they look? Exactly. That's what Christians do. We sing, we rejoice, and we don't care what people think of us. Now, I pay attention to what you're doing on the car and in the road. I'm not trying to mitigate that, but that's kind of a picture of what happens. Christians are joyful people 
even in the difficulties of life. I recognize we stumble and fall short because we're human. But as a, as a rule, this is something that we want to do. We want to be joyful people. And we are joyful people because we choose to rejoice. The famous missionary C.T. Studd once traveled to China on a ship. And the captain of that ship was an opponent of Christianity. He was an atheist and he often studied the Bible for the sole reason of arguing with people that would ride on his boat. And he tried to dissuade them from the Christian faith. And when he learned that C.T. Studd, a famous missionary, was on the ship, he went into action and he started to tell C.T. Studd why he was such a fool to believe in Christianity. And Studd said something to him. He put his arm around him and he says, But my friend, I have a peace that passeth all understanding and a joy that nothing can take away. And the captain was so moved by that statement, he said, You know what? You're one lucky man. If you really have that peace and joy, I don't have that. If you have that, there must be something that I'm looking for. And he led this man to Christ through his peace and his joy that he had. I'll never forget at the First Baptist Church of Wachula, when I was a young man, I stumbled into the great evangelist Vance Havner. I didn't even know who he was at the time. But if you want to see a really, really good preacher, kind of what they would call an old country preacher, get on YouTube and listen to some of Vance Havner's sermons. I remember I walked into that library at our church and he had just lost his wife and he was grieving. And yet here he was coming out here and preaching to us, uh, the congregation at First Baptist Wachula. He's known for these words. He says, you know, they can't take away our wealth because it's stored up in heaven. They can't take away our freedom because we're free in Christ. They can't take away our happiness because our joy is within us. They can't defeat us because we've been more, we're more than conquerors. And they can't silence us because the word of God cannot be changed. They can't kill us because we have eternal life. We of all people have a joy that passes understanding. So... This is the joy that we have because of what Christ has done for us. It's not earned. It's not manipulated. It doesn't come through effective uh, circumstances in our lives. It's a joy that we receive. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit of God. Because we have this joy, we rejoice. Uh, well, how does that play out? You know, Just remember this next time you go through a difficult time. Father, I know this is hard, but I got a joy unspeakable and full of glory on the inside of me. And I give you joy. Rejoice. Don't worry about what people think. Drive down the car, sing and praise songs of praise to our Lord. Point number two. And not only is that the first attitude that we have, Christians choose to be prayerful. Notice what the text says in verse 17. Pray continually. That word continually means constantly or without ceasing. In the Greek language, it's used of a hacking cough. Just a cough that won't go away. Prayer shouldn't go away. Many Christians think all I got to do is go to church on Sunday. This is an invitation from God to us that he wants dialogue, communication with us. Because of our joy given to us through, through Jesus Christ, we can have a relationship with our Lord through prayer. This word prayer literally means talking with God earnestly. It's asking God to get involved in your situation in life. It's not telling God what to do. It's not coming to him with a list. It's talking with your heavenly father. Now, let's remember who we're talking to here. We're talking to God, not another person. When we come to pray, there should be an awe, a reverence, a holy, a holy conversation that we have with our Heavenly Father. This morning I was reading in Mark chapter 14. Jesus is in Gethsemane and he's about to go to the cross and he says, Abba, Father, the perfect sinless Son of God, Abba, the word for intimacy. We get to go to God, not some 
a superior out there. This is God who's created the heavens and the earth who wants to be intimate with us. The most intimate conversation you can have with anybody on this earth is with your heavenly father. He longs for it. He made the path available for us through his son's death on the cross. We can go into his presence through the blood of the lamb. Abba, father, Jesus said. And we forsake this intimacy, the the intimacy we're looking for in our heart. It's prayer. And the Apostle Paul says, Christians, pray continuously. Now, what does that mean? Look, it's in your box on your outline. It says, this is not a charge to constantly walk around muttering prayers, but rather to have a life characterized by prayer. God's people are quick to pray in all circumstances, not only when emergencies arise. You know, one of the shortest prayers I pray, but I pray it all the time. If I go to somebody's house, before I walk up into that house, I say, Father, I pray will give me favor with this person or a family. Lord, if I have a conversation with somebody, I'll just mutter a little prayer. I'll just say, Father, help me to say the right thing. Help me to do the right thing. Help me to act like a Christian in this, const- in this situation. I need your help. This is constant dialogue that takes place between us and the Lord. Do we pray continually or do we just pray when we want something? You know, prayers at Christmas time for children are pretty common. Okay, I remember when I was a little guy, my parents went through a very difficult situation. The only thing that would heal me at that time in my mind was a mini bike. I had to have a mini bike, okay? So what I did, kind of manipulative guy that I was, I wrote out on a piece of paper my prayer to God for a mini bike, but I put it in such a strategic location that my mother would see it. Now, was that a prayer to God or was that a prayer for my mom to see? Most assuredly, it was a prayer for my mother to see. The only thing that's going to fix the problems in my life is a mini bike. And yet, that's the way we pray to the Lord sometimes. God, the only thing that's going to help my relationship with you is if you'll give me what I want. That's not praying continually. That's praying selfishly. What is prayer? Prayer is getting to know the creator of the universe more intimately. Prayer is getting to know God so that you can trust him when you go through the difficulties of life. That's what prayer is for, to help us in our relationship. You've heard me say this on many occasions. How many times does a husband and wife in their marriage not talk to each other? Sunday morning, see ya. Monday morning, see ya. And there's no communication that takes place between a husband and a wife. It's the communication that develops that intimacy between a husband and wife. Let me challenge you, husbands and wives. This Christmas, the best gift you can give each other is to pray together. Try it. Pray together as a husband and wife. It's all laid out for the world to see between you. Nobody can see it but you and your wife, but that's how you reveal your heart to your spouse. I would encourage you to pray together as husband and wife. I remember this story, I told this to you many, many years ago. I was reminded of it again this week. There was a man that went to South America, to Colombia, and he felt like God had called him to pray for souls in Colombia. He didn't even speak Spanish, but he rented an apartment and fasted and prayed for souls for 18 years. He was an intercessor, and he would share the gospel with folks, but he wasn't a preacher. And he died on that mission field after 18 years of praying and fasting for souls. And do you know how many people came to Christ in that man's ministry? Zero. Zero. He prayed and fasted for 18 years and he did not see one soul come to Christ. Now, would that discourage you? 
Do you get discouraged when God doesn't answer your prayer your way on your time scale? You see, when you pray, you're basically giving your requests to an almighty, all-wise, all-powerful God who knows better than us what needs to happen. I heard Dr. Erwin Lutzer say this recently in a sermon. He says, you know, if you could be God for 24 hours, what would you do? If you could be God and have all the power, would you fix stuff? If you were God and you had all wisdom, would you change things? And then he concluded it like this. He says, let me tell you what you do. If you saw things from God's perspective, you would do absolutely nothing. You would do it just the way that he's doing it because he's God and we're not. You see, you will only pray continually if you have faith in a God that is good and is trustworthy. And if he says 18 years without a convert, 18 years without a convert it will be because you trust him. Do you trust him? If you're trusting him, you'll pray continually. Because he's a good God and a holy God. And yet we kind of say, God, I'll trust you if you do this. If I see this. If I, if I see movement on my prayers. And if I don't see it, I'm going to move in a different direction. Well, that story doesn't end there. There were two missionaries, Bill and Molly Thompson, who went down to Columbia. Later they were joined by Lewis and Sally Morley, who also started to work in that city. And what happened after they began to preach? An explosion took place. Revival took place. Oddly enough, on the same block that that man fasted and prayed for for 18 years. God puts pieces of the puzzle together. People that pray, people that preach, people that share their, the gospel of Jesus Christ. God is working even when he doesn't reveal to us what he's up to. Our job is to be joyful continually to pray always. So who are you praying for? Are you discouraged because it seemingly hasn't changed yet? We need to pray. What does it say in Romans 12, 12? Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Keep praying. God knows what he's doing. But leave the answer with him. Point number three. And here's kind of the gist of the message today. Christians choose to be thankful. Joyful, prayerful, and thankful. I'll be honest with you. This is the hardest one. And you say, no, it's not. Oh, really? Let's go through it and see. Look what it says in verse 18. Give thanks in all circumstances. And some of your translations give thanks in everything. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You want to know what God's will is? Here's, he's saying it. It applies to all three. It's God's will that you be joyful. It's God's will that you be prayerful. It's God's will that you be thankful. Now, this is something that we need to remember because we're not good at it. And we have some folks that are better at than others, perhaps, but it's a condition of the sinful nature to be thankless. Ten lepers were healed. Only one went back to say thank you. We tend to get a problem fixed and we move on to the next one before we say thanks that the last one was fixed. Notice what the text says, give thanks in all circumstances. Now, if you go back to the Old Testament, they had what was called the sacrificial system. The Jews would take offerings or sacrifices to the temple. One of those was a sin offering. And when they would take a sin offering, they were offering that sacrifice that God would cleanse them from their sins. Do you and I need to be cleansed from our sins? Absolutely. But we don't offer a sacrifice. We have Jesus that paid the price for us. He was our sacrifice. But when they offered that sacrifice for the sin nature, they would also offer something else called a thank or peace offering. And it was just an offering to say, God, thank you. Thank you for taking care of my sins. Thank you, God. 
Thank you, God. Thank you, God. In the New Testament, because Christ is our sacrifice, we have what's called the Lord's Supper. The word give thanks in the Greek language is eucharisteo. It's the same Greek word for the Lord's Supper. Every time Christians gather and take, partake of the Lord's Supper, we give thanks for the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Giving thanks should be an attitude that every Christian has. But notice what it says, in all circumstances. We tend to give thanks when things are good. When the pay raise comes, when everything's taken place, can you give thanks when it's not good? I heard Dr. Erwin Lutzer say it like this. He said, we give thanks in all circumstances, but we don't give thanks for all circumstances. We're not thankful when evil happens, but we can thank God in the midst of a difficult situation. For thanklessness is a trait of unbelievers, but Christians are to be marked by thanksgiving. So here's how it plays out. When you and I are going through a situation, we just give thanks to God. When we lack understanding, we lack wisdom. When you, and listen now, when you and I choose to give thanks, we're inviting God to get involved in that circumstance. When we give thanks, when we lack understanding, when we don't like it, we're saying, God, I don't understand what's going on here, but thank you. Because when I give you thanks, you're choosing to get involved in my situation. It's when we choose to be thankless that we say, God, I got this. I'm not going to follow your rules. I'm going to do it myself. When you and I give thanks, it's an invitation for God to get involved into our circumstances. This is the truth that we need to learn today. What are you going through that's difficult right now? What are you going through that you don't like? Are you mad at God that you're going through it? Are you bitter at the person or persons that's put you in that circumstance? God is allowing you to go through a test here. He's saying, wait a minute, how big am I? I know you think your problem's really big, but how big am I? Am I bigger than your problem? I've allowed that problem to come into your life so you'll learn how to thank me in the midst of it. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. When you can thank me, not for your circumstance, but in your circumstance, you'll see my activity in your life. It's hard to grasp, isn't it? It's like you're saying, God, I don't understand, I don't like it, but... Thanks. It's kind of the, the teaching that the Apostle Paul has given us. The Apostle Paul mastered this. You see it in mature Christians in the Old Testament. Do you remember the story in Daniel? You don't have to turn there. Daniel chapter 6. It's the story of Daniel. And there was a decree that went out that anybody who caught, caught praying would be thrown into the lion's den. How would that stop your prayer life? Probably much so. Well, what did Daniel do? The Bible said after the decree, he had been published three times a day. He got down on his knees and prayed and gave thanks to God. Now, wait a minute. There was just a decree issued that if you're caught praying, you're going to be sent to the lion's den. And what did Daniel do? Like he had always done three times a day, he got down to pray and he gave thanks to God. <laughs> anybody, anybody want to be fed to the lions? That's not the point. Daniel's not saying, thank you, Lord, that I'm going to the lions. No, he's saying, God, I give thanks to you because I know you're God. I know you're in charge. I know you're in control. And I don't know what's going to happen on the other side of this thing. But when I give you thanks, you're going to get involved in this situation. So I'm joyful. I'm prayerful. And I'm giving you thanks because you're a great and mighty, awesome God, far greater than my problems. So I give thanks to you in all circumstances. This is your will for me in Christ Jesus. It's a lesson we can all learn. I don't know about you, but I don't like it when bad circumstances come into my life. 
But I like him. I love him. And when I choose to give thanks, I'm saying, God, help get involved here. What's your biggest problem right now? You've been praying, God, take it away. God, fix it. God's not saying, tell me what to do. He said, why don't you give me thanks in the midst of that thing? And when you give me thanks, not for it, but in it, watch me work. And what happened? <laughs> Did Daniel go into that lion's den and get eaten? Absolutely not. God shuts the mouth of the lion. God moved. God got involved in that circumstance because Daniel gave thanks in it. It's a lesson that every Christian's got to learn. Father, I'm choosing to be joyful. I'm choosing to be prayerful. And I'm choosing to be thankful. I love what Charles Haddon Spurgeon said about this. Look at it in your outline. It says, when joy and prayer are married, the firstborn child is gratitude. Isn't that a cool way of saying it? When Christians have joy and prayer together, gratitude's a child that comes from them. I'll close with this. Many years ago, there was a preacher by the name of Matthew Henry. If you go into a Christian bookstore, if they have them anymore, you always see uh, commentaries by Matthew Henry. He was a, a very famous commentator quoted by the greatest preachers out there. Well, one day Matthew Henry was preaching, and as he left the church, he was on a horse riding to his next destination. And what happened? He got robbed. <laughs> a robber stole his money, stole his belongings. And here's this preacher trying to serve the Lord, and he gets robbed. And it's a very famous journal entry. He went back to his, his uh, journal and wrote these words, which you and I can benefit from. He wrote four things. First, I thank you, God, because I was never robbed before. We have something to be thankful for, right? Second, because although they took my purse, they did not take my life. Third, although they took my all, it was not much. I didn't have a lot of money on me. And fourth, and I love this, I thank you because it was I who robbed and I was not the robber. I wasn't the robber. I was rather robbed. He found something to be thankful for. Can you find something to be thankful for in all circumstances? Surely we can. You know, here's the, here's the lesson. In the difficulties of life, we have a joy because we know Christ. We know that we're in his hands. Secondly, we have this incredible opportunity to pray that the non-Christian doesn't have. We can talk to our God, our powerful, all-wise God that knows. And thirdly, if you're doing those two things, you're going to learn to give thanks even when it doesn't feel normal. I'm not saying give thanks for it. I'm saying give thanks in it. We're not thankful for evil, but we're thankful for a good God who works all things together for good for them that love the Lord. So here's a challenge for you this week. As you go forward this week, give thanks to God in the midst of whatever you're walking through. And when you choose to do that, God's hand will begin to move, perhaps over time, but it will begin to move on your behalf. Can you give thanks to an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise, all-loving, all-perfect God? Yes, we can. Let's pray. Gracious Father, you are a good and holy God. And Lord, we humble ourselves before you today. We thank you for your precious word, which is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Father, we thank you that you're, you know what's going on even when we don't. And we thank you that when we pray, you know the answer before we do. Father, we come before you and we give thanks for the sending of your son, for giving us life, for giving us fellowship and family and friends. We thank you, O oh God, for the many blessings that you've given to us. And may that thanksgiving be seen by those that we come into contact with. Father, if there's anyone here this morning that does not know you as their Lord and Savior, I pray you'll speak to their heart even now.
Let them trust in Jesus. Perhaps you've called some to become part of this church family. May they act upon that conviction. And Father, for the one that's going through a difficult time today, I pray they'll give thanks in their circumstance. For this is your will for us in Christ Jesus. Bless this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. During this time of invitation, I'll be here at the front. If God speaks to your heart, you come. Let's all stand together. If God's put a burden on your heart, you come. We'll be here at the front. Let's all stand.